welcome to the MacGyver Report, Wisconsin This Week. We hope you are enjoying the new podcast, whether it's interviewing the newsmakers of the day, reporting on the truly important stories that you just won't see in the mainstream media, or bringing you the latest cloak and dagger capital intrigue. The MacGyver Report is here to keep you in the know on all things Wisconsin. From our palatial offices right here on Madison's Capitol Square, we bring you the stories that really matter to you, the taxpayer, and give you our incredibly expert analysis and unfaltering insight that you can only get, or so we hope, from Team MacGyver. Now, fueled with gallons of coffee and Packer playoff fever, <laughs> otherwise right. known as delusions. Let's not get ahead of ourselves now. I'm Lou Grant. <laughs> and or Matt Kittle. And uh, here I'd like to introduce you to uh, some of the members of the MacGyver team. I'm Chris Rochester, Communications Director here at MacGyver. Don't forget uh, to follow us, uh, the MacGyver Report, on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and now on Google Play. So everywhere you could possibly get an in a podcast, we're, we're now available. And we share it with your family. We're present. We're everywhere. Guys. We're everywhere. <laughs> That's right. And just to butt in here, I'm Bill Osmolsky, MacGyver News Director. And uh, start things off, even if you didn't completely unplug over the weekend, mm. you might have missed this story, and it's the biggest news story of the past couple weeks. It sure is. Right around 2 in the morning on Saturday, the U.S. Senate voted 51-49 to pass tax reform. And Chris, what a time we live in when that story essentially flies below the radar. A once in three decades uh Massive tax reform package, and uh, I guess Michael Flynn trumps all. Ha, ha, ha. Rim shot on You know, so but what you're saying to me, Bill, is that not everybody uh, listened to, the, to C-SPAN radio uh, up until 11, 12 o'clock Friday night? No, and if you went to an NBCN uh, or whatever.com, <laughs> uh, you, you might have been overwhelmed by other flashing headlines over the weekend to see the fine print. Uh, Scroll all the way down to that. I gotta get me some C-SPAN radio. That's what I think I've taken away from this conversation already. Well, I, I was driving home and I had to have something to listen to, and it just so happens that uh, that's pretty much the only place you can actually hear any live coverage of this of this tax reform debate. He's getting reminiscent for the '90s. <laughs> yes, he also has a lot of uh, time on his hands. <laughs> Maybe a hobby or something. But you're right. Two in the morning. Who's gonna pick this up? Right. But this is the seminal story. This is the Trump victory. And I know a lot of other things have occurred this year and some good things conservative-wise and what have you. And obviously other stories out there seem to dictate the pace of what everybody's talking about. But this, this is a real impact pocketbook story. It, it is in more than one way. I mean, not only is this an income tax cut, a tax break for corporations, it simplifies the tax code, which has been collecting barnacles for over three decades. Mm -hmm. So it scrapes a lot of them off, and, and, and it's not perfect, right? No, you know, not, we, not we, in the least. It's, it's far from perfect. Right. And we, we heard Senator Johnson having his own concerns, but he, he became a yes vote along with uh, enough Republicans to get it over the finish line when it came time to when the rubber met the road on Saturday morning. Yeah. But uh, another thing that I don't want to let go below the radar is not being talked a lot about is the individual mandate repeal. Mm -hmm. Now the the two chambers are going to go to a conference and will that make it through? That's the question that I have. The the sense that I'm gathering from sources and from people in the know and certainly people much smarter than I about uh, the swampland politics is. 
this will stay, um, that they will have the votes to do it. The problem seems to be with the corkers of the world. Like, I always like the name corker, in this case, Bob Corker from Tennessee. My mom used to say, he's a real corker. Oh, really? <laughs> this guy's a real corker, you know? <laughs> he's a real corker because now, he, you know, he's, I, I know he's, he's been a kind of a deficit hawk in the past. That's been his, one of his claims to fame, if you will, in the Senate. But what is repulsive to me beyond measure is people on the left big spending, tax and spend liberals now suddenly concerned about the, the, the deficit and the debt. Bill, are, are you as baffled as I am about this conversation from the left, this argument, oh, we can't possibly deliver tax relief because we've got to worry about the debt. Well, and other than, you know, a couple pundits online, nobody calls them out on it either. I know it. That's what's atrocious to me, is that nobody calls them out. These are the same people, Chris, who cared nothing about doubling the debt over eight years in the right. Obama administration. And now suddenly they are deficit and debt hawks. Right, right. Um, so we'll talk about uh, the social media of this whole thing a little later. But let's just say I got my workout this weekend uh, debating this whole thing. And I've come to call them born-again deficit hawks on the left. Because they're, you know, $10 trillion in deficit spending added to the national debt over the uh, Obama years. And they're worried about one, maybe $1.2 trillion in what are questionable, questionable additions to the national debt over the duration of this, this the next 10 years on this. It is remarkable how quickly they forget. And then let's let's ask them what they think about cutting government spending, since that's where most of the debt the debt over the next decade is going to come from. Yeah, anyway, that, that's what I'm thinking. Baptized in irony are the born again uh, debt hawks. They were never uh, debt hawks. They were never concerned about the the U.S. debt. They went along with the stimulus packages and Obamacare and every other expansive government program. And this is, I think, this is a good argument. This is a good point for conservatives to say, okay, let's say, for instance, that the CBO finally gets, the Congressional Budget Office finally gets it right on what a tax cut will do in terms of stimulating the economy. It never has. I'm not putting my bet on that. No, I mean, it's <laughs> failed by hundreds of billions of dollars at every level. But let's just assume that you're correct on that. Okay, well, no, we're conservatives too. We don't want to raise the debt, so we'll we'll deliver the tax cut. We'll deliver the tax reform, but if we have any problems with the debt, we'll pay for that by cutting expansive government programs. We'll we'll play them on that. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what we could start off with is is throw them for a loop because we're all warmongering right wingers, right? But you have the uh, you have the hundred and fifty some billion dollar. Uh, waste report at the Department of Defense. Let's dust that off. Let's that's start talking about cutting. Let's start talking about entitlement reform. That's exactly what I'm saying. Is we we've got the tax cut stuff. We've got the tax reform. We haven't done it since uh, the Reagan. We haven't done it since the Golden Girls were popular <laughs> on television. Right? My my roommate watches that show. Okay, well good. It's time to call that person out. A, a B a, a B Arthur fan. Then. We've got the honest. No, but, but it's seriously, we, we've talked about tax reform, we've, we've seen it blasted on the left, but nobody wants to talk about the elephant in the room, cutting the size and scope of government. And, and until we get really serious about this, the tax cut is good, but we need to introduce that into the conversation, really talk about the it. Con I think maybe the left gives us an opportunity to do that. They, they do. The conversation centers on, uh, you know, 
the 1.5 or 1.2 or whatever number of trillion dollars added to the debt, that conversation is premised on the idea that the government is never going to shrink. Yes. And maybe it's time to give the government a reason to start shrinking. Don't tell me that there's nowhere to cut from the federal government. I don't think anybody believes that unless you're just so dyed in the wool. Lord, I hope not. It's a preposterous notion. But here we are. Real quick, I think the Senate version and the House version vary, obviously. There are differences. Mm -hmm. and, and as you said earlier, Chris, it's going to have to come down to a conference committee. My understanding is that the House can get that together this week. There was a little uh, delay or a lag from the Senate. Maybe they'll get things together this week, but definitely by next week. We're going to conference committee. We're going to start working out the, the ironing out the details. What do you think is going to be on the firing line between the two versions? I think the top rate, so the Senate's mm -hmm. top rate for people who earn incomes in the millions is, uh, I believe, 38.4 or somewhere in there, which is about 1% less than what the House leaves it at 39. Yeah. Um, and I think the individual mandate could be up because I think that concerns people like Susan Collins. Um, other than that, I mean, the number of brackets from seven to four, that, that'll be a, a, a con contentious argument too. And I think uh, uh, ideally the final product will have the House version of that. Boy, how many sweeteners is it going to take? To get this, this there's so many it. moving parts, it's really hard to keep track of this. Yeah. I just wanted to touch on one last thing, I guess. Um, what, what I hear, and I'm listening to the Senate debate driving home on Friday, and you hear these, these politicians saying, there's no way to be certain about this. There's no way to be certain about that. There's no way to be certain of wage growth. There's no way to be, cer be certain of all these different moving parts. Certainty is impossible. And uh, is for those prognosticators at the CBO and the Joint Committee and uh, Joint Taxation Committee, Nostradamus died centuries ago. There's nobody alive who can predict the future. So if you're going to base taking action on being certain about what the effect is going to be, nothing will ever get done. And a message for those in Congress, people are kind of tired of nothing getting done. We've been talking about and pondering this for 30-some years. It's time to act. Let me give you a certitude before we leave this conversation. The certitude is it's the taxpayers' money. Right. Give it back to them. Okay. You can talk about all the other stuff, but really what it all breaks down to is if we give people their money back, it should end right there. It's not, it, well, if we give people their money back, uh, then we're going to have to shrink the size of government. No, if you give the people their money back, it's their money. That's it. That's the certainty that should be really locked in this debate. It's quaint. Anyway, so if you haven't picked up on the theme so far, when it comes to tax reform, Liberals tend to focus more on its impact on the government, while conservatives try to focus on the private sector. Now, talking about how this will help business is one thing, but last week there were over 100 small business owners from across the country who flew to Washington to make sure lawmakers heard it straight from the source. Matt Kittle has more with this week's McIver Minutes. This is the McIver News Minutes. 
Here's Matt Kittle. Keith Smith will tell you why tax reform is so critical to his business and Wisconsin's economy. He certainly told Senator Ron Johnson last week. Smith's Vonco Products LLC last year moved from Illinois to southeast Wisconsin with a pledge to create 86 jobs in three years. The packaging manufacturer is well ahead of that pace with more than 120 employees. The Republican tax reform package, narrowly passed by the Senate with the help of Johnson's vote, cuts the corporate tax rate from 35 to 20 percent. That's huge to companies like Vonco, which could use the tax savings to accelerate an $8 million expansion, further bolstering its growing workforce and ultimately Wisconsin's economy. And that's the case Smith and scores of small business owners made to Johnson and other senators in D.C. last week. Smith believes the tax cut will create a velocity in the economy that's going to spur growth. He and Vonco are certainly banking on it. I'm Matt Kittle for the MacGyver News Minute. For more free market news, log on to MacGyverInstitute.com. Yeah, you know, we can talk about all of this, you guys, in kind of the political ease, right? But until you see it on a real-life, real impact, and that is the small business owner, like Keith Smith, this is a success story for Wisconsin, his business. It's, it is a uh, tale of woe for Illinois. Illinois lost another company at its northern border to Wisconsin. Well, at a point where it wanted to grow, too. At a point where it wanted to grow, but it couldn't, and it wouldn't, because the owners knew that Illinois was not on the right track, Wisconsin was, and so this is a a national issue for them, but as Keith Smith had pointed out, it is about taking the growth that they've experienced and now really accelerating that growth. That can only mean good things for Wisconsin's economy, uh, not just Kenosha County, but the rest of the state. Well, you, 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 cut their, you cut their tax rates, and again, there's no guarantee about what happens. But one thing that is, is for certain is if they have plans to grow, that return on investment period gets a whole lot shorter. And so you see the advantage of, of growing your business. <clears throat> and like you said, this, this business came from Illinois. Uh, they came to Wisconsin because we have a better, a better tax climate. Uh, and I'll get to this in a second, but Wisconsin's looking to make some dramatic reforms at, on how the state does taxes. But, um, you know, even though it's not perfect reform, and Senator, Senator Johnson had his concerns, this business owner said that he can live with what Senator Johnson was, was concerned about. Mm-hmm. And he can live with it because the nature of the tax cuts, moving from 35 to 20 percent, is significant. It's huge. It's meaningful. And what he told Senator Johnson last week, as a lot of these small business owners told other senators, hey, listen, in a perfect world, we would do what Senator Johnson likes. We would give more opportunity for tax cut, uh, for tax reductions to the pass-throughs, these small businesses, and then the vast majority of people, no doubt about it. But on the other side of it all, if you get a tax cut, if you can bring down that corporate rate, uh, 15 percentage points, you've had a very good day. So hard as it is to believe, state lawmakers in Wisconsin can also be reform-minded. Last week, a group of Republican senators introduced a tort reform bill. And Matt, I could have sworn they took care of tort reform back in 2011 when Republicans first took back the majority. Oh, no, there's much more to go. Uh, ask any small business out there. I think they'll tell you that. You're right. They did a lot of tort reform early on in uh, the post-Republican revolution, if you will, in uh, the Assembly and the Senate, and obviously with uh, Governor Scott Walker. There's much left to be done. This is the latest, but this 
tort reform bill is interesting on many levels, but let me tell you what it's not. It's not the kind of thing that's going to draw or should draw the kind of contention that we've seen with others. This bill, which was uh, circulated last week by Representative Mark Bourne of uh, Beaver Dam, Republican from Beaver Dam, is really about streamlining the process and connecting or moving in line Wisconsin's civil action law with the federal policy. That will cut down on duplication of service within the state and federal courts. That's going to be a huge savings. The other thing it does is it puts uh, you know, the sorts of federal lines with federal laws on discovery, for instance. Discovery or the evidence gathering phase of a civil lawsuit is a highly expensive and can be a very lengthy process. Mm -hmm. And so this puts some guidelines that really need to be there um, in place. The other thing it does, and this could be a story in and of itself, is it puts some guidelines and restraints on what is known as lending lawsuits or lawsuit lenders. Oh, this this sounds really uh, on the up and up. Yeah. Now, <laughs> to explain what that is. Now, this is not just a, you know, a cottage industry. It's a growing industry of people, of financiers, of lenders who will give upfront cash to plaintiffs suing a business or a municipality or what have you. Uh, they will float them cash for living expenses or medical expenses or whatever in return for a small <laughs> payback fee should they win their lawsuit. That is so, to say, a 200% interest level in some of these cases or a huge cut of the settlement. And so what happens is instead of uh, the plaintiff saying, you know what, I'm done with the legal process. I think I got a fair settlement here. You could have a lawsuit lender say, no, we're not quite done. Let me tell you why. Because <laughs> so, I don't think your cut's going to do me any good. So uh, <clears throat> to steal a political attack from a couple years ago, they sound like vulture capitalists. Yeah, oh. So it's pretty much it. I, you know, I was thinking about this, you know, the whole notion of angel investor. This ain't it. Demon <laughs> investors. Yeah, exactly. They're looking to pick the carcass of, uh, of these small businesses apart. This would, this would really get into that. And like I said, more than anything, this is about streamlining the process. We have some of these laws that go back to three years after the Civil War. One sentence laws. Now, I'm not an advocate <laughs> for pages of laws, or pages of code, uh, upon pages of code. But one sentence, which is very um, nebulous and, and is open, vague, op open to interpretation, is a real problem. In So they want to clean up some of that more than anything. They want to take the burden off of, of, of small businesses, local governments, those, and, and also the plaintiff. This helps all sides. Now, that's not saying that you'll, trial lawyers will be all keen on every aspect of this, but I can't tell you exactly how the trial lawyers feel because I talked to them and they said they get back to me with a comment and Let me guess. they have yet to get back to me with a Maybe Crickets. they gotta go through legal. Right, <laughs> they gotta go through legal so they're gonna call themselves and use two phones at lunch. one time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, I was gonna ask you uh, before you mentioned the, the trial lawyers, who would oppose, this sounds like a lot of common sense to me, I mean, who would oppose getting rid of vague language? Well, trial lawyers, I, I can see it, I mean, uh, listen, if it if it cuts into some of the discovery process, that's a lot of money for the trial lawyers, right? right? I mean, 
you bill two hundred dollars by the hour, uh, you can you can rack up a pretty decent bill in discovery. So yeah. Now their argument may be this this may they may argue that this is going to limit somehow the scope of justice, the ability to fully vet a case, and all of these sorts of things. But the experts who have really followed this for years would tell you this is really about aligning Wisconsin's law with the federal law and bringing up Wisconsin's law to most of the 50 states. These are things that this, uh, most, the vast majority of states have already done. Wisconsin is playing catch up here. Well, keep an eye on, uh, on our website. I'm sure we're going to be following up on this. And any opponents of this, no doubt, are going to find a, a victim uh, or, or concoct a victim. Yeah. And we will hear the usual political back and forth about who's being victimized and why the Republicans want to victimize them. Forever the villain. <laughs> it is the victim state, my friend. Well, uh, that's a story that's gone under the radar, I think. And uh, like tax reform, so many other things getting just taken away uh, in the uh, 24-hour news cycle we have right now. Uh, so... Let's talk. Let's keep talking about underreported stories. One uh, that I went to, I went to a committee, a subcommittee hearing last week on local government uh, taxes and funding, is what it's called. And this is one of the that new. That sounds like a hoot. Oh, do uh, you know what? <laughs> uh, this is the you're talking to the guy who listens to C-SPAN in his oh, car. That's right. I'm so uh, <laughs> it was. This is one of the new. We've talked about this on previous podcasts, but the uh, the Ways and Means Committee, which is chaired by Representative Mako. Uh, has been remade by Speaker Voss and Mako. So it's the first standing committee with subcommittees, and this is one of them, the uh, Local Government Taxes and Funding Committee. Uh, it's a three-member committee chaired by Representative Stefan, uh, Representative Steve Doyle uh, from Onalaska is also on it, and Representative Kathy Bernier. It, it was an interesting time because you had the Wisconsin Counties Association and the League of Municipalities got together and they testified about property taxes, and I think as most people uh, probably listening to this slash anybody who owns a home is aware, Wisconsin has kind of a old, really outdated way of, of assessing local taxes. We lean very heavily on property taxes. Sure. So the message from the Wisconsin Counties Association to this, this subcommittee was that for various reasons, particularly the retirement of baby boomers, property taxes are an unsustainable source of, uh, and way to fund local government into the future um, and the municipalities kind of tied that in with the uh, Governor Walker's message about job creation and building the workforce and that the state must retain talent and so it all all this ties together into it looks like the assembly is positioning itself for a really a stab at a real long-term fix for how local governments are funded and I, the subcommittee wants a plan to present to Ways and Means by April 1st. And what concerns me about that is, and this is to be folded into the next budget, is you have these advocates for local governments, and local governments always want more revenue. They want the net result of any change to be more money in their pockets. So let's hope this plan that gets dropped on April 1st isn't an April Fool's joke and actually makes some long-term changes to how the state uh, generates money for local governments. I enjoy the timing of yeah. That is yeah, very interesting. We will be watching. And and the only person who can even be considered in the media core was Gwen, Gwen, Gwen Gunther from the Wheeler Report. There was no reporters there, so this was completely underreported, but it's also a big story. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. That is a big story. Well, um, you guys already raised it. I'm not going to talk too much about it, but yeah, I mean, Saturday morning, 
Uh, we had the biggest story, certainly uh, policy-wise, federally speaking, this year. Uh, this is a huge impact story. The tax reform package passes in the Senate. It's close to doing what uh, President Trump had hoped that it would do, has promised that it will do, that you will have tax reform legislation, and he will sign that by uh, Christmas. This is going to be a Christmas present. Now, that's a long way from being done. We know what conference committees can do in the halls of, uh, of the Senate, in the halls of uh, Congress, but this is a big story, and obviously it didn't get the kind of play right. in the main because everybody still wants to talk about Mueller investigations and, uh, you know, uh, FBI and, and uh, all of these other things. This is a big deal. Well, Matt, Chris, I kind of want to play this one up because this hasn't been reported at all. I, <laughs> yeah. I really like this one. Bill really <laughs> likes this one. He's got the hands. <laughs> rubbing the hands together. I'm not making any friends over this one. <laughs> I bet not. Now, you might have heard about the new state law that allows the farming of industrial hemp. What you didn't hear about is the incredible cost to taxpayers. You see, growing hemp requires government oversight to make sure you aren't actually growing marijuana. And that oversight is not free. <laughs> uh, DATCAP estimates it's going to cost taxpayers about $324,000 a year for salaries and equipment. Meanwhile, taxes from the new hemp industry will bring in about $10,000 a year. But that's not all. That's not all. There's more. Wait, there's, there's more. There's more. <laughs> Under the law, the UW will have to develop a certification program for the seeds, which was which is estimated to cost up to three quarters of a million dollars a year. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> certification program for the pot seeds? That's right. So well, what if they pot? Well, <laughs> well, and they potentially could also go ahead and create a new Wisconsin heritage hemp seed. Wait, wait, hold on a minute. Oh, what is this? A special hemp seed just for Wisconsin. That's going to cost $400,000. Is that something like you hang from a necklace or something? Are they going to make a stamp or a license plate uh, out genu of this thing? Genuine Wisconsin hemp. You know, maybe it right. will be a license plate someday. But okay. so to summarize, Wisconsin's new industrial hemp law will generate about $10,000 a year in taxes, yet cost taxpayers about a million dollars a year plus the $400,000 wow. in one-time cost, so great shot. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like your traditional uh, government uh, idea. Yep. There, there are mm -hmm. endless, endless jokes and cheap, ridiculously bad puns to make about this I'm sorry, this I couldn't thing. hear you over the Bob Marley. <laughs> <laughs> this week, uh, coming up this Wednesday, so the day after this publishes, and you may be listening to it later on in the week, but rest assured that uh, on Wednesday, December 6th, the MacGyver Institute welcomed Guy Benson to Madison, uh, to the Monona Terrace. Uh, we're having him at uh, for a luncheon at 1130. Uh, Guy Benson is the uh, political editor of townhall.com and the co-author of the book End of Discussion. I don't have the new book yet, but I'm re-listening to the old one. It's, it's, it's a great read, a lot of fun. Um, I didn't want to just uh, talk about how great Guy is because we've done that a couple weeks in a row. I wanted He's to pull... a great guy. He's, He's a, a great, great guy. guy. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so once he listens to our making fun of his name for the past few weeks will never never talk to us again um so this kind of dovetails on some other things we've talked about but the uh the latest story that he has on townhall.com was really interesting it dovetails on some social media shenanigans and chicanery that uh really resulted in the spreading some bad information about first, something Orrin first Hatch of all, for said. the record i want it to be noted that uh, we have used chicanery 
and uh, shenanigans <laughs> in the same podcast. <laughs> this is we know what we're doing. Point somewhere. He's got a we double like, point. It's that, a triple word in Scrabble right there. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, we're, we're, reach, we're reaching into a, yeah. Maybe yeah. I'm, I'm overburdening my arguments with uh, extraneous erudition. But uh, Senator Orrin Hatch was quoted by Joe Scarborough, and this is the point of, of what Benson's article is, just trying to point out a little bit of truth, which didn't, which got a great disservice done to it on Twitter uh, during the, the health care debate, on the, or the, the tax reform debate, excuse me, on the floor. Uh, Joe Scarborough quoted Hatch's, he says, talking about children's health care, quote, I have a rough time wanting to spend billions and billions and trillions of dollars to help people who don't help themselves or who won't help themselves won't lift a finger and expect the federal government to do everything. Boy, that sounds really bad. You're talking about kids and health care. So that got retweeted over 10,000 times. This is a tweet with, with zero context. But it just so happens that that was completely out of context. And Guy calls this out in his story. Uh, Ezra Klein actually points this out. Uh, watch this. Hatch, who helped write Chip, is pretty clear he supports it. Uh, his comment about people who won't help themselves, which I think is ugly in other ways, as Recline says, isn't about chip. It's about other. It's about spending in other areas. So, uh, needless to say, the correct information and the context didn't get retweeted at all. But worthy of pointing out in this this very confusing debate over tax reform, where the truth spreads around the world by the time or the the lie spread around the world by the time the truth gets its pants so out in the you're morning. Saying to me is that there was a tweet out there that had no context to it. And false information. <laughs> that, is, that is amazing. You, you only get 140 characters. <laughs> how do you, how do you oh, put no, the... You get more than that <laughs> 280 now. That's right. Anyway, uh, so, so come, and let some, uh, come and hear Guy Benson, and if you missed it, we will make sure we include uh, some of Benson's remarks in our podcast next week. Absolutely. So, so while we're on the topic of tax reform also this week, now that the House has passed one version and the Senate has passed another version of tax reform, it's time for the conference committee to reconcile the two. And whatever they come up with goes straight to the president. It doesn't go back to the floors. And uh, he would either sign it or veto it. And that is supposed to happen this week, although it could be a sliding timeline on that. Yeah, it's always a sliding scale when you get uh, both the Senate and the House having to come together to conference something. We'll keep you posted, obviously, and uh, you can certainly check out the latest information as we move forward on the tax reform debate and whatever is coming up from said conference committee at MacGyverInstitute.com. Listen, uh, it was a good week for some in the political world, bad week for others. We all have an idea of who really hit it out of the ballpark and who really struck out at the plate, and so... I'll go last. How does that sound? Okay. okay. I'm not saying we're saving the best for last by any stretch of the imagination, but I think we'll start off with Chris. Well, you, you have some interesting uh, insight on good and bad this week. It was a it was a different kind of week, and we've talked about you know tax reform uh, and and so on. We've also talked about social media, which just brings out the worst in people sometimes. Uh, the loser of the week is a guy named Paul Nalen, who is running his second campaign. Some have called it a scampaign because he uh, collects significant money in donations and really doesn't get much of the vote at all and just kind of runs around off, you know, unhinged on, on Twitter. His latest tweet got roundly panned by people on both sides. He tweeted a picture uh, 
uh, and said, if Gabby Giffords, and she's the congresswoman who was shot from Arizona, uh, had been a quicker draw, legal gun owners wouldn't be subjected to hers and Paul Ryan's tyrannous regs. Wow, it's almost like a joke. <laughs> it's it, it like sounds like serious. It sounds like this guy's just a total parody of a of a typical far right winger that the that the that the left wants to to put out there. I mean, this is just uh, it's rotten political discourse. You don't have to be um, a moderate to have some sense of decorum, and this is a guy who just runs a trash campaign against Paul Ryan for you know being part of the establishment. Yeah. And it's just, it's completely outside the bounds. And I think one thing that's good about conservatives being held to a higher standard uh, in the media, there is this double standard where our conservative discourse tends to get brought under more scrutiny, is we, we hold ourselves to that standard. We hold our people who run under the conservative banner to a higher standard. And that's a good thing, especially in a case like this. Anyway, um, loser, that's the loser of the week. <clears throat> there was a winner of the week. And the, the winner of the week was the Silver Dome in Pontiac, Michigan, <laughs> which just will not lose. It will not go down. It will not go down. It will we, go gently into that good night. <laughs> and this is a source of endless fun if you if you like to make fun of the Lions. And who doesn't? I'll if tell you why. You know why the, 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 the Silver Dome won't go down? Because that's exactly how the the Lions, the football players, <laughs> they, they, the Silver yeah. Dome said, there's just been too much winning here. We can't <laughs> We're go sick out. Of winning. Yeah, that so silver dome mystique. They tried to do anyway. They, they tried to do one of those controlled implosions where they blow it up and then yeah. all the smoke clears. And there's the silver dome still standing there. So you know, endless fodder on Twitter. You know, my favorite one was well, the silver dome's going to wait till the fourth quarter before it implodes, <laughs> and and the list goes on and on and on. You know, one last silver dome fumble. And all this. It's funny um, because it's Lions' failure. And I we can love it. we can make fun of the Lions because the Packers won, even though it was just and, barely and the Lions squ- lost, barely squeaked out a win. It's a but rare occurrence this season. It's, yes. it's one of those seasons, I'll tell you. Well, so I'm gonna say that ABC News investigative journalist Brian Ross had a bad week. Mm. He reported that his unnamed source said Mike Flynn would testify that Trump told him to reach out to the Russians during the campaign. That was not true. Trump told him to talk to the Russians after the election, which makes a world of difference. Ross was suspended for four weeks. Even the Pointer Institute of Journalism published a story Monday for reporters on how to avoid making the same kind of mistake. It recommended not using unnamed sources, if at all avoidable, and if you do, ask basic questions like, why is this source telling me this information? What do they have to gain from it? Why are they reluctant to be named? And honestly, let's face it. If the story is too good to be true and the source doesn't want to go on the record, well... Maybe that might raise a red flag or two if you've got a couple years in, under your belt. In, in this newsroom, it would. <laughs> Brian, so Brian Ross is a rookie, though. He hasn't been around the block. You know what? It's, it's a hard-fought lesson at the start of his career. So. Yeah. Now, now, for who had a good week, no question... Parker Pence. Huh? Who's that? Now what's Par- that? Parker Pence. Who's 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 Parker Pence? <laughs> Parker Pence. Parker. Pence. Parker what, that's he a, on uh, one of those Lifetime movies. No, I'm sorry. That was Parker that's Posey. A, that's I Mark. That, that's now, Mike Pence's brother. Now, now, hear me that's out. Right. Hear me out. Governor Walker signed 19 bills into law last week, and if anyone's ever watched the governor sign a, a bill into law, it takes about a dozen pens. 
each time he writes out his signature. So just doing the basic math, that gets you up to about 228 pens. Good day. And by the way, do you know where Parker pens were originally made? Janesville, Wisconsin. Jane, Janesville, Wisconsin. Um, they now have uh, since been sold to a foreign company, and I believe they're outsourced in uh, London, England. Hey, let's make American pens great again, okay? But, but, you know, we got the heritage, so, you know, everyone loves showing off their Parker <laughs> pens in the Capitol. And I, the I, is that like, is that like heritage uh, industrial hemp seeds? <laughs> you know, maybe someday that will supplant. I, I, I say, well, supplant the Parker let's, let's, uh, let's do the austerity thing. Just just switch over to Bic. Go across the street to, to Walgreens and get a big box full of Bic pens. Oh, it's got to be ceremonial. Yeah, okay, right. my good week is... Uh, President Trump. I mean, you know, you're going to get the the Bob Mueller situation and uh, the Flynn lying to the FBI and all of that sort of thing is going to dominate the headlines. Guess what Trump just had? He had his first major, well, it's still in the works, but yeah, <laughs> the Senate passing tax reform. This is Huge, huge, yes. hot take, hot take. Right when we sat down is when this popped up on the computer. Absolutely, and at the yeah, as we sit down here this uh, this afternoon, as we take take the big podcast, the Supreme Court uh, says, uh, "Listen, uh, Western uh, District Appeals Courts, you got this thing wrong, and they will permit full enforcement of Trump's travel ban." That's that, that is a big victory. And most of the legal community that really watched this thing said that was going to happen eventually. Nonetheless, it now comes at a great time for Trump with this big victory in the, the tax side. Well, it's incredible how that also was flying below the radar. It was indeed <laughs> flying once again. But, you know, if <laughs> you want to tell a story, that's, that's not going to necessarily be in there. Oh, and here is, uh, I think, the loser of the week. And that is the hyperbolic left that just went wacky uh, after the Senate passed the, the tax reform package. Right. My goodness. Shocking. You have, you have, yeah, well, they just took it to a whole different level. You have Patton Oswald. Uh, most folks will vaguely remember him as being in... The, he claims uh, to be a comedian, right? I think he's a comedian. I know that he was in uh, the show with Paul Blart, uh, the mall cop. Um, <laughs> uh, he chimes in over the weekend. Is there any going back after hashtag tax bills scam to America? Does it matter now if Trump is impeached? We've lost America. It gets worse than that. America died tonight, tweets Newsweek writer Kurt Eichenwald. Wait, that, that was a, 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 just a mainstream unbiased? Mainstream unbiased, yeah. <laughs> mainstream reporter, obviously, uh, died in the liberal, but nonetheless, <laughs> fr coming from the mainstream, he says this, America died tonight. That's what he says in a tweet. America died tonight because... Uh, taxpayers will get some, some of their money back. That's what's killing America in the eyes of, <laughs> of the hyperbolic left. I'm sure uh, his Twitter account, though, says tweets are my own. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is what happens when you take the, the, the income tax and the money and you start pulling just a little bit of it back and you take a little bit of the progressive power away. Oh, you get the reaction of, of a cornered animal. Hmm. It's just amazing to me the notion that cutting someone's taxes would be the death of America. 
that's where we're at in America. So America wasn't born until the income tax, which was 1% on the top 1% of income. So we haven't... We, we won't be in 1912, man. We won't be fully America until your tax rate is 100%. We're only halfway there right now. Exactly. Exactly. Here's a handy flow chart. I mentioned Guy Benson earlier. I just want to throw this in there. In that article I mentioned, there's a, he, he retweets somebody's flow chart and puts it in the article. Um, the result of the new legislation, it's either a Republican bill or a Democrat bill. And then if it's a Republican bill, everyone is dead. <laughs> and if it's a Democrat bill, it's utopia. And yeah. that's the end result. That's right. Pretty that's simple. A, that's pretty much if, if you're trying to score along at home, that's how it sets up. Hashtag obvious fact. Well, speaking of Twitter and tweets and tax reform, uh, tax reform actually has generated some interesting discussions on the interwebs and, and the tweeters, but it hasn't all been sunshine and roses as is always the case on Twitter. Yeah, you got some fans that follow you, huh? <laughs> has well, it, I do. Has it at least been enlightening? Is there anything in here that anyone could take from this whole mess and say, oh, you know, these trolls, they got something there. Nah. Nah, I'm going to go with nah on that one. <laughs> in fact, it'll really suck the life out of you if you spend too much time yeah. reading it. Um, I, I don't want to talk about the nice tweets, though, because kudos to those people. Let's talk about the mean ones and the dumb ones. Uh, we get we get plenty of them, and uh, I personally have been assigned a Twitter troll brigade, brigade which means I'm, I've arrived, apparently. Um, Jeff Simpson of the blog Cognitive Dissonance Said Ooh, that's that, one of my favorites. Yeah, he's a, he's he's a he is like the king troll running. Well, they, they've been around for a long time. Too. Yeah, that's, you've got like the uh, the established uh, old school bloggers coming right now. Well, well he's the deep state blogger. The, <laughs> he's the Negan to the rest of the trolls. And ah. he, he runs the show, but he says, uh, "quote I find it funny when at Wist Wist GOP gets mad at GOP selectively for being insane." That was in response to the Paul Nealon thing, which. I think everybody agreed that that's just a bad thing to put up, and he's not representing the, the Republicans or conservatism in general. Uh, yes, this was an exhausting exercise putting these together. Uh, another Twitter person, which I don't care to even mention their handle because they only have eight followers, spent hours on Twitter calling us racists and even took screenshots of my LinkedIn to say that because I was a cook and a customer service rep that I have hashtag zero cred as, as a communications director. Don't let Brett find out about that. Oh, no. <laughs> I worked at the Dairy Queen in my hometown back in uh, the late 80s. Does that uh, complicate my credibility? Yeah, you, you can't work in, you know, the, the real world where you're sweating in a 100-degree kitchen. You got to, you know, I don't know. I made a uh, uh, double-dipped uh, butterscotch cone. Does that to complicate things? No, you, you, you're, you can't be doing your job because okay. you, you have zero credibility. Uh, I just want to know what the rules are. You have zero credibility to comment on what it's like to be a working person getting a tax cut when you've been a working person in the past and <laughs> yes. would have benefited from getting the tax yes, cut. Exactly. So we have another person called Althea Told Me that follows us and apparently has a lot of Althea extra time. tells this dude a lot of stuff. <laughs> you notice that? Yeah. Uh, in response to Governor Walker's initiatives to grow the workforce announced at WMC last week, you know an incredibly easy way to fill open positions? Offer a better wage. Not categorically wrong, but it's not like it's the state's job or the governor, the governor's job to offer a better wage to private sector workers. You want to guarantee a fundamental lower difference. wages? Have the government demand you offer higher wages. <laughs> That's so counterintuitive. They've never understood yeah, that. You yeah. can't. You can't even tweet back at this, some of these people because they just it's bashing your head into a wall. Another. We go back to Jeff Simpson in regard to <laughs> the silencing of free speech on campus. 
quote, if only that had actually happened anywhere, unquote. We don't have time in this podcast to cite the myriad examples of the left on college campuses silencing, but anybody who has read anything over the last 18 months ought to understand we, uh, the fallacy <laughs> of this tweeted response. We hope Jeff listens to the podcast next week when we'll have some comments by, by Guy himself, who has a lot of examples in his book, Absolutely. End of Discussion. Yeah. And then uh, a liberal Walker hater who's apparently still in total denial that Foxconn is actually happening went on, took full advantage of the new 280-character limit and said in response to news about Foxconn and, and you know, developing the workforce, getting, you know, wages improving, the economy, situation of the economy getting better, quote, this is total BS. At Gov Walker is running the state of Wisconsin into the ground, giving billions to a foreign corp. These jobs are not coming to Wisconsin. And they are bad jobs anyway. Foxconn employees would rather jump from a high building instead of working for them. Hashtag vote out corrupt GOP. This is ridiculous. So it's just a, it's a bundle of every left-wing talking point on Foxconn rammed into one tweet. Very skillfully done, I guess. This isn't from Iron Stash, is it? It says Randy. Or <laughs> uh, no, different, <laughs> different person. And then, of course, our favorite troll group, One Wisconsin Now, after uh, we quoted a citation of Chief Executive Magazine ranking Wisconsin from one of the worst 10 states to do business to one of the top 10 best in just a few years. Uh, we, do you guys remember this story recently about Project Veritas getting kind of caught? In a, oh, yeah. Yeah, they tried. I didn't hear they had a private jet, though. I didn't hear they had a private jet either, but they tried to send in like a, someone to something to do with Roy Moore. I forget the exact story. Yeah, they were trying to hit on the Washington, they were, they were trying to hit the Washington Post with one of their operatives, and she was trying to drum up some, some fake news, some phony news that the Washington Post would follow, because the argument, I think, was that the Washington Post certainly would, because they're all in on, you know, hitting Trump or whatever. And, you know, you can say what you want about Project Veritas, but it is a reflection of the concern that folks have about the integrity of the right. mainstream media. And, uh, and so one Wisconsin now was, was, you know, there with their entertaining commentary that Chief Executive Magazine is an in-flight magazine of Project Veritas's private jet because of its credibility. And again, one Wisconsin now is always entertaining, but not really high in intellectual calorie count. So. Wait, wait, so did one Wisconsin now come after you personally? No, this isn't oh, me. This is McIver's. This is a jumble of things uh, between me and McIver and... You know, if, if Bill, if you used Twitter and Matt, if you had Twitter, then we could use your guys' stuff too. But <laughs> knew, knew what Twitter was, you mean. <laughs> what is this Twitter of which you speak? What, what's, there's a generational divide somewhere in the grid, middle baby. of this table. I'm off the grid. All right, well, everyone, thank you again for listening to the McIver Report, Wisconsin, this week. We hope we didn't bore you to sleep unless, of course, you were looking for some help nodding off. And as always, for the latest information, research, and analysis, please visit our website, www.mckyverinstitute.com. And you can listen to the McIver News Minute Tuesdays and Thursdays live on WISN News Talk 1130 out of Milwaukee. Check it out.